Please turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6. In this, our fifth week of our Family Emphasis series, it is uh, my opportunity this week to speak to our children. There have been a few times, particularly in the evening service, where uh, I have addressed the children specifically. Last week, as I was telling fathers about the most important thing you can do to protect your young men, I, I spoke to young men for a minute. Uh, the week before, as I was talking about uh, how to raise godly children, I, I spoke to the children for a time. But this week, uh, we are going to focus on you children, uh, and uh, you've listened, you've been well behaved, uh, you, you've perhaps listened to these messages with an ear toward the future, toward becoming a future wife, a future husband, uh, you've perhaps listened with an ear toward your parents and, and how they live out the example of what's being preached before you. But today is for you. Today is your opportunity to understand your God-given responsibilities in the family. And just like with when I preach to, to the husband and when I preach to the wife, what I've said to you, or what I will say to you, uh, in the ears of the world around us, uh, will be controversial. The notion that as a child, God has given you expectations which you are expected to follow is something that you may not hear very often, but it is indeed true. And just with my other sermons, children, what I'm going to tell you today is what the Bible says. I can't make you do what the Bible says. Your parents can't really make you do what the Bible says, truly, with your heart. But if you are a follower of Christ, then the Bible assumes, and I assume, that you want to do what the Bible says because you love Christ. And I'm actually going to start there this morning. I'm going to start very foundational. We're speaking to children, and not every child in this room is a born-again believer. And so I'm going to start there, and I'm going to start with, with, with that basic concept and build our way unto this lesson that the Scriptures have to tell us to believing children, to children, about how to obey Christ by obeying your parents. When I speak every week, the majority of my messages are directed toward those who are already followers of Christ, teaching us how to follow Christ better. It's not very often that I speak from behind the pulpit with a message that is, is mostly focused toward the unbeliever, the exception of perhaps a few gospel messages in any given year. Uh, we recognize that the church is designed for believers. The church is intended to be a place where believers come and learn and grow, and then you are responsible to go out to win folks to Christ and then to bring them into the church. The church is, is, is a place for you to grow, for you to learn, for you to become more like Christ. And that is our philosophy. But children, all of the things that I say every week, when we talk about obeying God and we talk about doing right and we talk about loving one another and we talk about being a testimony to the world around us, uh, all of these messages assume two things. First, it assumes that you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior by grace through faith. And secondly, it assumes that you are actively desiring to follow Christ, actively desiring to obey the Word of God. These are just assumptions. Now, some of the messages are encouraging you to follow Christ. Some of the messages indeed have that gospel in them. But, but by and large, these are the assumptions. That the people sitting here, you love the Lord, you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you want to, to do what is right, and I'm, I'm going to open the Bible and, and tell you how to do that. Now, children, the adults in this room, to one degree or another, mo the majority of them have made this decision. They have made the decision to follow Christ. None of us is perfect. We all know that. We're all sinners. Each of us are working out our own problems, and we all have them. But what binds the, the majority of us in this room together is that we have accepted Christ as our Savior and we desire to follow God in obedience. We pursue Him. Now, each of you children, each of you is here in part because your parents tell you you have to. Right? 
You're here because your parents bring you to church. By that, I don't necessarily mean you don't want to be here, but whether you want to be here or not, most of you are here anyway. And that's okay, because at various times in childhood, whether you love God or not, uh, listening to a man talk for nearly an hour may not be all that appealing to you. There's just certain seasons of life where that's perhaps a little bit less, less enjoyable, less desirable, less appealing, especially to perhaps our little boys in here and whatnot. You'd rather be doing whatever, going wherever, climbing a tree, I get that. But today my message is directed toward you children, and it will be for all of you. Just like anyone in this room, your ability to benefit from what the Bible has to say, however, depends on whether or not you're ready to obey. Some of what I'm going to say is not going to be easy for you. Particularly as you get into certain seasons of life, obeying and honoring one's parents is, is not an easy thing. Perhaps in certain situations, your family life makes it not an easy thing. It may not be easy for you. And you have to decide whether or not you're going to trust God and do what he says, in spite of what you think or the circumstances surrounding you, or whether or not you are going to do it your way. Obey God, or do it your way. Everyone makes that decision. And today is the day where you're going to be confronted with those decisions. And of course, young people, obeying begins with accepting the gospel, and I'm going to start there this morning. It's good for all of us to hear, and some of us haven't accepted it yet. The gospel is defined for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, and it says this, Paul writing, he says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. The gospel gives us a solution to a really big problem. And that problem is that we are all sinners, right? That is the big problem. Sin is anything that we say, anything that we do, or anything that we think that is against God's character, his will, or his word. So anything, it doesn't have to be just actions. It can be words or it can be thoughts that are contrary to God's will, what God wants, God's character, who he is, or God's word, what he has said. If the Bible says it's wrong and you have done it, then you have sinned. If you have ever lied, you've sinned. Because the Bible says, thou shalt not bear false witness, and God is true. If you have ever disobeyed, if you've ever disobeyed your parents, if you've ever done something you're, not, you're, not to, you're told not to do, teacher, person at the store, aunt or uncle, grandparent, if you've ever disobeyed, you have sinned. If you have ever been unkind to someone else, you've offended the word of God. And as we think of that, as we recognize that, we understand that we are all sinners. We have all sinned. There is not one person in this room who can say, I'm batting a thousand on this. I, I have not done wrong. Everyone has sinned. From the oldest in this room all the way down to my little boy, Benjamin. And he's been doing it for a long time. At two years old already. He's already well seasoned. In, in, in his sin nature. And this means that as we're all sinners, we've fallen short of God's perfection. God is perfect. We are not. God is sinless because he defines, sin is defined as that which is not God. And we have done that which is not God. In fact, Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Here's the thing, children. Because you are a sinner, the Bible says you have been separated in fellowship from God. The penalty for sin is death. And when the Bible talks about death, it's not just talking about physically dying. It's talking about separation from God. So when Adam and Eve, uh, in the Garden of Eden, when Adam chose to rebel against God and Adam and Eve fell to sin, the Bible says that God said, the day that you eat thereof, you will surely die. Well, Adam and Eve did not die that day, did they? 
But what happened on that day? The relationship between them and God was severed. There was separation put between a holy God and sinful man. So much so that when God came to walk with them in the cool of the day, they hid themselves from him. They were compelled to flee and to hide from God because they knew that they were sinful. There was a separation. There's a separation. It's kind of like when, you're, when you, you do something wrong and your parents have told you to do something, uh, not to do something, and you did it anyway, and now you, you, you want to avoid eye contact with your parents or your parent comes into the room and you kind of try to slip out the other side. You don't want to interact with your parents because there's something between you two because you know that you've done wrong. You know that you've done something that, that has offended what they've told you to do. And so there's this natural separation between you. There's a, a loss of fellowship. The wages of sin is death. Because we have sin, there is a natural break in fellowship between man and God. We're separated by the fact that God is holy and that God cannot have fellowship with that which is sinful. And this is really bad news, isn't it? Because if the wages of sin is death, well, then the solution would be, okay, well, then I just won't sin because I don't want to die. But, but here's the problem. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You're already a sinner. It's already happened. You have already been separated in fellowship with God because you are a sinner. And the wages of sin is death. And the payment, this death, this eternal death, is separation from God and it's a place of eternal conscious torment called hell. But this is where the two verses that we see up here on the screen come in. This is what we call the gospel. A word that means good news. And the good news is this. That though you and I are sinners, Christ died for our sins. Christ died for our sins. Jesus died upon the cross, and the Bible says when he did, he paid the price for your sins so that you don't have to be separated from God, so that you don't have to suffer the penalty, the punishment of that sin and eternity in the lake of fire and this forever separation from God. But the Bible doesn't just say he died, does it? It says Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried. Makes sense. People die and then they get buried. Well, here, here's the unique part, right? And that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. See, the Bible says that Jesus Christ did not stay dead. And this is absolutely important. Because if Jesus came to this earth and he said, look, I have come to save you from your sins and I have come to pay the penalty and he died and he stayed dead, then what good is he? He's a dead savior. What good is, what good is a dead God? What good is a dead man that, that, that taught you some things? He's dead. But the fact that Jesus Christ was risen from the dead, that he is alive today, and that he promises you eternal life, if a dead guy promises you eternal life, then you look at him and say, well, why don't you start with you? Right? If you're going to promise me eternal life, how about, how about you start with eternal life? If a guy owes a million dollars and you owe a million dollars and the guy comes up to you and says, I'm going to pay off your million dollars, you look at him and say, why don't you start with your own million if you're going to pay off some debt? But see, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He's alive today. And because he is alive, when he tells you, you can be alive too, you can live forever with God, I can reconcile you into a relationship with the Father you can believe him on the authority of the fact that there's an empty tomb. That God is not dead. That Christ is not dead. That he is alive. And Jesus promised that because he came back from the dead, so too would everyone who believed in him. And, and, and this is indeed the requirement. In John 3.16, we all know it. I'll tell you what, let's, let's go ahead and say it together. It'll be up on the screen, but let's say John 3.16 together. We're all familiar with it. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's the promise that those who believe in him will have everlasting life, will be redeemed from their sin, will be reconciled unto God, will be brought back into fellowship with him. So the question becomes, what does it mean to believe? What does it mean to believe? Because we all know here, most of us believe that Jesus was a person. Most of us believe that Jesus died on the cross. But there are plenty of people that believe that Jesus was a good man or a person or that died on the cross that, that will not be in heaven one day. What does it mean to believe? Well, in, in consistency with what we read in 1 Corinthians 15, it's believing that Jesus died for our sins, which means what? Which means you recognize you're a sinner. You can't believe that Christ saved you from your sins if you don't believe that you're a sinner. You can't believe that you need a savior if you don't believe you need salvation. If a person is drowning in a, in a, a, a lake and he's flailing and he's drowning and you come up with, with, with a life raft and you, or, or, or a, a, some flotation device and you look and you say, hey, you're drowning, let me throw this to you. And he's flailing, he says, no, I'm okay, no problem, I'm not drowning. You could throw everything that you've got out of that boat that floats and he's not gonna grab it if he doesn't think he's drowning. You gotta think that you have a problem before you're ever gonna seek a solution. So we've gotta first understand that we are sinners, that we have fallen short of God's glory, and that we can't claw our way back into God's favor. We can't get there on our own. We can't work our way to heaven. We can't be good enough. We can't go to church enough. We can't give enough money. We can't help enough little old ladies across the street. It just doesn't work that way. Why? Because we have sinned. And it doesn't matter how much good you do, no just judge will ever allow one's good to outweigh his bad. If you were to stand before a just judge, and the judge says, I see you stole 15 TVs from the store, and you say, well, yes, judge, indeed I did steal 15 TVs from the store, but you know, for the last 10 years I've gone to church every Sunday. But you know, judge, I've given a lot of money to charity, so shouldn't my good that I've done for these last 10 years outweigh the fact that I stole all these TVs? And the judge is going to look at you and say, guilty. No, it's not going to, your, your good is not going to outweigh your bad. You've still got to pay for the bad. The bad has to be paid for no matter how much good you've done. Look, the first time you sinned, you were guilty. You are guilty. And someone's got to pay for it. And it can't be you because you're guilty. It will be you if you don't accept Christ. But you can't get into heaven on, on, on your own merit. And so Christ did for you what you cannot do for yourself. It means you understand that your sin has separated you from God. It means you understand and believe that there's nothing you can do to get yourself back into fellowship with God. That's what the Word of God tells us. And it means you understand and believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross and that when he died, he took your payment for sin on himself. He paid the price for you. And when he rose from the dead, he secured the authority by which he did it. And it means you place your full faith and trust in Jesus' death and resurrection and only his death and resurrection to save you. You're not trusting Jesus plus baptism. You're not trusting Jesus plus church attendance. You're not trusting Jesus plus good works. You're trusting in Jesus alone and knowing that only the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross will give you merit before the Father. So that if someone were to ask the question, when you stand before God, why should I let you into heaven? Your only answer would be because of what Jesus did on the cross. Because Jesus paid for my sins on the cross of Calvary. That's what it means to believe. And that is the sole standard by which a man enters into a right relationship with God, reconciled to God, and enters into heaven one day. And if you have, with all of your heart, done this, if you have believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved, then the Bible says you have been saved, that you are born again. And the scriptures tell us in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You have been made new in Christ. You've been made something different. You, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you as a follower of Christ. And this is very important, young people, because this is where I'm going with this today. 
If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've never put your full faith and trust in Jesus alone to save you from your sins, if you've never had that time where you've finally given in and said, it's not about the good things I can do, it's not about, um, not, not about the good things I have done, it's not about the fact that my parents were Christians, uh, that my parents go to church, it's not about the fact that I have a good relationship with my pastor, it's not about those things, it's about whether or not I have accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I have I have trusted him to have paid the debt for me. If you've never done that, make today the day. But if you have children, particularly as I'm speaking to you, of course, applies to all of us. The Bible says that the moment you do, the Holy Spirit indwells you, comes to live inside of you. And this Holy Spirit makes everything change. Because God is in you. And, and, and as God is in you, through the Holy Spirit, you are given, number one, you are sealed until the day of redemption. It's, it's, it's like your, your ticket is punched into heaven. But secondly, you are given victory over sin today. The power of sin in your life is broken when you accept Jesus Christ as Savior because the Holy Spirit comes inside of you and gives you the ability to live through the power of the Spirit and not just through the power of your sinful flesh. Your sin, your sin nature is still there, but now you can plug into the power of the Spirit of God instead of plugging into the power of sin. You have the ability to live differently. And only through the Holy Spirit do you have the ability to live differently. Now, you can mimic this. You can pretend. You can, you can live the life and you can... You can, you can look good and you can sound good because anybody can do that. Anybody can wear the right things and do the right things and say the right things, but, but you know what? There's no man that can fool their own heart because no matter how many good things you do and good things you say and how you try to live up to, to, to some public image or perception of, of church goodness, you know your heart. You know that that's not what's actually in there. And God knows your heart. And you're not going to fool him either. You're not fooling yourself, and you're not fooling him. You may fool everyone else, but you're not going to fool God. The Holy Spirit is the one that works in us righteousness. We don't have to conjure it up. I don't have to conjure up righteousness. You don't have to conjure up righteousness and goodness. It's what naturally flows out of the heart of, an unbeliever, or of a believer. The Holy Spirit's work gives us confidence that we are, in fact, a follower of Jesus Christ. When we see the Holy Spirit changing us, teaching us, convicting us, when we see that, and, we, and, and that's, that's a natural outworking, outflowing of, of, of who we are now, that's the sign that we are in Christ. And the Bible presents several tests that assure us that we are a believer. The first test is, is evidence of a believer. It's called illumination. That's when you read your Bible or you hear the things of the Word of God, and as you hear the preaching of the Bible, you understand spiritual concepts. It makes sense to you. Before you were a believer, you couldn't understand the things of the Spirit of God because you, you didn't have illumination. You could understand sin and righteousness and judgment, as the Scriptures tell us in John 16, but you couldn't understand the spiritual things. That's why when you have conversations with people about morality and spiritual things and they're unbelievers and you're kind of beating your head against a wall trying to figure out why they can't understand common sense, it's because there's absolutely nothing common about it to the unbeliever. It's, it's foreign to them. In 1 John 2.27, we read this. But the anointing, this is the Holy Spirit, but the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. Here we see the scriptures testifying that when the Holy Spirit is indwelling you and you are abiding in him, the word of God and the things of God become evident. Now that doesn't mean you don't need pastors. It doesn't mean you don't need to come to church and learn what the Bible has to say. But let me give you an example. Uh, de dealing with that young lady at the jail not long ago. And she, she made a profession of faith in Christ. And I taught her a few things uh, about the w Word of God. And the next time I met with her, we were talking. And she said, uh, Chaplain Wickler, she said, we didn't talk about this, but, but 
after we left this week, you know, I've been trying to do these things, and, and there have been certain things that, I've, uh, that, that, that have been brought to my heart. Uh, I feel like every time I, um, I took the Lord's name in vain, it was like a prick on me. And, and she said, and then I, I was thinking about my life, and I realized that I feel like I'm very self-centered. We didn't talk about those things. She said, I just, I feel like, when, 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 I, when I said that, and that was very proud, and, and I, I felt like a prick inside of me. I said, that's what's called conviction and, and, and illumination. That this, is, this is the things that you have heard in the past about the Word of God, the truth now starting to make sense to you. That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit telling you that these things are wrong. That's, that's an evidence of, of uh, salvation. Another one, chastening. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 8 talks about chastening. We'll talk about it a, a bit more in uh, next Sunday morning service. When you're walking in rebellion against God, God will chasten you back to himself. Uh, discipline. God will discipline you when you're walking a, apart from him as a believer. And if you are feeling as though the Lord is disciplining you, take heart. You, you, of course, get yourself right. But, but take heart in the fact that God only disciplines those he loves, those who are his children. And if you receive no chastening for, uh, for sin that you, you're, you, you're living in without repentance, if you're receiving no chastening, no discipline, then you should doubt whether or not you are indeed a child of God. The next one, the fruit of the Spirit. Now, I'm not giving you all of them. The fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 talks about the fruit of the Spirit, and it gives these attributes. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Those nine attributes of the fruit of the Spirit, we talked about already. These are not things that, you, you don't say, well, I'm a believer, so now I need to try to do these things. No, you're a believer, so these things will be what naturally comes out of you as you submit yourself to the Spirit of God. This is, this is the natural state of the believer, that these attributes just bubble out of you as you are abiding in Christ. And when you see that, when you see that flow out of you, the fruit of the Spirit, you know the Spirit's inside you because He's coming out of you. And then finally, and again, this is where we're going with it, 1 John chapter 2, verses 3-5, through 5, evidences that you are a believer, children, you keep Christ's commandments. In 1 John 2, verses 3 through 5, we read this. And hereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. Now, now it's important that I make something very clear here. 1 John is written to believers. Those of you that studied with us on Tuesday night, you know this. 1 John was written to believers. This is not talking about if you don't keep his commandments, you're clearly not a believer. That's not what this is saying. Keeping God's commandments is not a requirement of salvation. Keeping God's commandments is how you know that you know him. It doesn't say hereby do we know him, hereby are we saved if we keep his commandments. It says hereby we know we know him. We know that we are a believer. We have confidence that we're a believer if we keep his commandments. Salvation is a free gift which you receive by placing your faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But how is it that you know you know Jesus Christ? Through the Spirit starts bubbling out of you, illumination, conviction, chastening for sin, and when you want to obey God. When you want to do what's right, that's an assurance to you that you have the Holy Spirit inside. And that means that you are a believer. We have confidence that we're following Jesus when we keep his commandments. One of the best evidences that we are the children of God is that we desire to obey God, and we, in fact, do obey God. And this assures us that we are followers of Christ. And so, children, that's kind of the intro. <laughs> Long intro. Big foundation this morning. But here's where we're going with this. I'm about to tell you what God expects of you in the family. But none of this is going to make any difference if you aren't a follower of Jesus Christ. And in fact, 
if none of this makes any difference to you, if you as a child sitting here this morning are going to listen to this and you have absolutely no desire to do what the Bible has to say, it doesn't interest you, you don't care, you don't want it, you're not, you're not going to listen to it, you're, you're perhaps scoffing or scorning in your own heart, you should talk to your parents about whether or not you have truly accepted Jesus as your Savior. I'm not trying to place doubts on you this morning, children, at all. But if you don't want and don't care about God and His Word and obedience to God, there is something spiritually wrong. Whether it's an unbeliever or whether it's just you, you've wandered way far away from God, there is something spiritually wrong if you have no interest in obeying the Word of God. If you are a believer, then you are expected to obey the Word of God, right? And if you don't love and obey God, and if you don't care about the things, then there is indeed something spiritually wrong. So, with that in mind, let's consider what God has to say to you children this morning. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, before we go any farther, let's define what the word obedience means, because it's important that you understand what it is that you are being told to do. Obedience is doing what you are told, when you are told to do it, with a right heart attitude. The obedient child, the, the, the one who is obedient to God, the one who is obedient to his parents, is the one who is doing what he's told, when he's told to do it, with a right heart attitude. That is the, the purest essence of what it means to obey. Just like the father is commanded to love and the mother is commanded to submit, the husband and the wife, children, you have been commanded as well to obey your parents. And, and this, this commandment only has one condition. It is semi-conditional. only has one condition. Now, it doesn't say obey your parents if they do a good job of raising you. It doesn't say obey your parents if they love and obey God. It doesn't say obey your parents if what they tell you makes sense to you or you agree with it. It doesn't say obey your parents if you feel like it. It says obey your parents and only one condition in the Lord. Now we spoke of this with wives as related to submission. The concept of in the Lord means you do it for the Lord. But it also lays a condition that the only time you are allowed to disobey the authority that God has ordained over you, and children, that's your parents, is when that God-ordained authority is asking you to sin, is asking you to do something that the Bible explicitly says that you should not do. When your parents, if your parents were to ask you to sin, ask you to lie for them, ask you to steal for them, ask you to cheat for them, ask you to go along with something that is sinful, you are not biblically obligated to obey that command. We ought to obey God rather than men. And if there's ever a place where man's authority conflicts with God's authority, and man is asking you to do something that God says you will, you should not do, you obey God rather than man. But that is the only condition we find in the text whereby a child is justified in disobeying his parents. As long as you can obey your parents in the Lord, you are, are commanded to obey your parents. And take note of this as the primary motivation here. In the Lord, for this is right. Children, obey your parents because it's the right thing to do. And we've just spent 30 minutes talking about the fact that, look, if it's right, then you ought to want to do it. And this is where everything that I, I told you comes into play. Children, I can't force you to obey your parents. Children, your parents can't force you to obey them. Your, your parents can perhaps to some degree force compliance, right? Go empty the trash. I don't want to. Well, then you'll lose this. Okay, I'll do it. Your, your parents might be able to force compliance, but they can't force a heart of obedience. They can't force a right heart attitude. They can't force you actually saying, I love the Lord, so even though I don't want to do this, I'm going to do it because I love God. 
They can't force that. No one can. The only thing that can compel that is the Holy Spirit within you. Which is why it's so important the Holy Spirit's within you. Because if you're going to obey properly, the right heart attitude, in the Lord, you have to want to love, to, to serve God out of love. Your parents can't compel you to have a right attitude. I can't compel your attitude, but, but I shouldn't need to. Nor should your parents. Because you're a child of God. And if you're a child of God, then you ought to care what God thinks. And if God tells you that obeying your parents is right, if you love God, then you will direct your efforts towards pleasing God by obeying your parents. So the question again must be asked, children, do you love God? Are you showing your love for God in the way you obey your parents? The passage continues. Verse 2. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment, with promise. There's actually a second command here. Not only that the child should obey his parents, but that the child should honor them. They're, they're different words, different concepts. What is the difference? Well, obedience is doing what you're told when you're told to do it with a right heart attitude. Honor is holding them in esteem, prizing them, uh, valuing them. It's going beyond just doing what they say, and it rests upon how you actually view your parents, how you treat them, how you speak about them. It's about valuing them, not because they necessarily are, 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 do things that, that are worthy of seeing them as valuable. They may not be honorable parents. They may not act in a way that is honorable. But in the very same way that a wife submits to her husband, not because he's necessarily doing the best job, but because he has a position that is worthy of that submission. And the same way that a husband loves his wife, maybe not because she's the most lovable person, but because she is in a position that is, love is due unto her. Children, you don't obey your parents. You don't honor your parents because they are worthy of it. You honor them because of the position that they have. They are your parents. God has given them to you. Therefore, you honor them. Positionally, they are worthy of your respect. They are worthy of your honor. Speaking well of them. Not because they've done anything to earn it, but because your parents are entitled to it. Now, children, that means we don't contradict our parents. May not be disobedience in the formal sense, but it, it is without question dishonor. Don't argue with your parents. It's not honoring them to argue with them. It's not honoring to talk back to them. It's not honoring to speak ill of them, whether they're around or not, or even to think ill of them, is it? And when you do this, when you fail to honor them, you, you have sinned because you've disobeyed the word of God. The word of God says, honor thy father and mother. Now, let's take a few moments to speak uh, to our adults in the room here. Adults, uh, there, there's a time limit given to obedience to parents. We find this time limit spoken of in doctrine in the Word of God. Genesis 2.24 gives us this limit. We also find it in Matthew 19, verse 5. In Genesis 2.24, we read this. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Leaving and cleaving. To leave one's father and mother is not to sever a relationship with them, but to sever the authority that they have over you. When a man and a woman get married, a part of that process is that they are being released from the authority, the obligation to their parents' authority, and they create a new unit of authority altogether called the family. So they are now their own unit of authority. And that, that, that has everything to do with obedience. So that it can, and, and this is why the father gives away the, the bride. And, and th this is the idea there. That you are severing the authority so that this new family unit has authority all its own. On the authority of God's word, however, we never see in doctrine a time where the Bible says that you are to cease to honor your parents. We never see a time where this honoring of parents 
commission changes. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, Paul is writing to Timothy and he says this about widows. Honor widows that are widows indeed, but if any widow have children or nephews, relatives, extended relatives, let them learn first to show piety at home and to requite their parents, for it is good and acceptable before God. To requite means to compensate. It's the duty of the adult child to care for their parents in the same way it was the duty of the adult parent to care for their young child. That there is an ob a biblical expectation that the child will honor his parents until, and really beyond even, his, their parents' death. An extension of honoring, and it helps us understand that though in marriage the authority of the parent is, is relinquished to a new family unit, the honor which is due to parents remains. That we are to still hold them in high esteem for what they have done for us, for the Lord's using them, and for the position that the Lord has given them over us. Until they cease to be your father and mother, which is never, don't cease to honor them for the position that they've been given. So adults, that is, is no less an obligation for you that you would honor your parents as well. We speak to the young people about honoring your parents, holding them in high esteem, valuing them, speaking well of them, but, but adults, it's, it's just as important for you. Regardless of history, regardless of differences, yeah, you don't have to obey them anymore. You don't have to, to do what they tell you to do when they give you advice that's not, not sound or not wise or they're going in a direction that's not biblical. You but you should honor them. Don't speak ill of your parents. Listen to them. That doesn't mean you have to take all of their advice, but, but have an ear to listen to them. Be willing. Give them the honor of regarding what they have to say to you. Give them that honor. You have a boss. You're not going to, you know, you're, you're, your boss is crazy. You're not, whatever, but, but, but you know what? Give them the honor of listening because he's your boss, Right? He's your boss, so at least hear what he has to say about how you do your work. Oh, you should do it this way. Well, when I do it that way, it's a lot slower. Yeah, but I'm at least going to listen to him because he's my boss. Well, look, they're your parents. God has given them to you. At least listen. Honor them in that way. Don't speak ill of them. Disagree with them, fine, but disagree with them respectfully. Appeal to them, do that, but only appeal respectfully. And the, re the remainder of this verse reminds us that this commandment is the first commandment with promise. Uh, here we find an appeal to the Ten Commandments, the fact that it's a commandment. It's one of the Ten Commandments. The fifth commandment, in fact, which reads in Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, Honor thy father and mother, which is, uh, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. It was indeed the first commandment that came with a promise, that accompanied a promise, a direct promise. And the promise given to the Jews, to the Israelites, was that their days would be long in the land which God gave to them. That's the land of Canaan. Uh, this is not necessarily speaking of Israel's physical life, that they would have long life, that they lived to, you know, several hundred years old if they obeyed their parents. That's not what it's saying here. What it's saying is that they would have national prosperity, that there would be peace and that there would be be contentment in their days if they honored their parents. Well, why would this be? Because their parents had accepted the Lord. Their parents had, had gone through and, and, and made the covenant with the Lord and were serving the Lord. And if the children honored the parents and they, they, they followed their parents into obeying God, then they would indeed obey God as well. And then the generations would continue and they would be able to avoid the curses that God had promised in the law because with each successive generation honoring their parents and thus honoring the Lord, they would all stay right with God. But we're not Jews today, are we? We're not the nation of Israel. We don't have a land that God has given to us that we can belong in. So, so Paul changes the perspective a little bit for us. And he says in Ephesians 6.2, uh, excuse me, uh, in Ephesians 6.3, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. 
So instead of the people living long in the land that God has given to them, Paul says to honor parents, we may live long upon the earth. Now, this is Paul taking what God told Israel and translating it into the church. And what we understand from that then is most likely Paul is not saying here, if you honor your parents, you're going to have a long life. You're going to live to 70, 80, 90. That's not necessarily what this is meaning. Just like that's not what it meant to the Israelites in the land of Canaan. But what this does mean in consistency with the promise given to Israel is that with honoring one's parents comes a general prosperity because you are honoring God. Comes a general direction of life which is right and, and this favor of God. You know, there are many people, I'm sure, who have honored their parents well who have died young. We, we can't dogmatically say that you will live a long life if you honor your parents, so that if you die young, it's because you didn't honor your parents. We can't do that. We can't say that. Nor is that consistent with what God told Israel and how Paul translates that into the New Testament. But what we can understand is that God promised a general prosperity and a positive direction and a joy to those who will honor their parents. Because what are you doing? You are, you are serving the Lord. And you have a mind to do the things of God. And that's going to bring you to a, to, to, to a place of, of spiritual prosperity. And it's going to allow the church to perpetuate itself as well. So children, let's conclude today by drawing some definitive points of application to everything that we've learned from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3 and beyond. Point number one this morning, children. If you love God, keep his commandments. Jesus said in John 14, 15, Jesus speaking, if you love me, keep my commandments. It's this plain. It's not always this easy, though, is it? I'm not telling you this is easy. I told you already. I told you early. Not all of this is going to be easy. It's not easy to obey God all the time. But it's blessed. And if you love him, children, if you love him, obey him. The world is seeking to draw us into darkness. The flesh is longing for personal satisfaction. The devil is in a constant state of tempting you and seeking to deceive you. But children, if you love him, obey him. Secondly, just building on this, to keep God's commandments is to obey your parents' children. If you're going to keep God's commandments, then you're going to obey your parents. If you don't obey your parents, you are not keeping God's commandments. And if this doesn't bother you, as I mentioned, there's something spiritually wrong, and you need to find out what that is, child, and you need to get it right. Because a follower of Christ wants to obey God. You won't always do it perfectly. Are you still going to disobey your parents? Yes. It will happen. But a follower of Christ wants to obey God and strives to obey God. So when your parents tell you to do something, do it. Do it. Not because they have earned your obedience. Not because they've promised you something in return. Not because what they ask makes sense to you. Not because you agree with them. But because it is right. And by obeying your parents, you are pleasing the Lord and you are obeying the Lord. Do it. Do it when you're told to do it. Do it with a right heart attitude. If you don't have a right attitude, get your attitude right. Identify it. Get it right. When, when, when your parents tell you to do something, that ought to be an immediate flag to you, okay? Whatever I'm doing, I set it down and I go do what I'm told. Your parents know that you're doing something when they ask you to do something else. They understand the context and they still want you to do it. So do it. You know what it means to obey your parents. You can explain it away and excuse it and whatever, but, but you know what it means, so do it. You're not fooling God by pretending not to hear your parents. You know that? Your parents may tell you a third and a fourth time because, oh, maybe they didn't hear me. But God knows if you heard the first time. 
God sees your heart. And I remind you what it means to obey them. It means that you're doing it what you're told to do, when you're told to do it, with an attitude that is right in the Lord. If you love God, keep his commandments. If you love God's command, if you, you know, to keep God's commandments is to obey your parents. Third, to keep God's commandments, all of you, not just those that are still under the authority of parents, unmarried, all of you, honor your parents. Everything that I have just said about children and obedience can be replaced about children, whether you're young or old, and honor. If you love God, you will keep his commandments. One of these commandments is that you would honor your parents. To fail to honor them is to be disobeying God's word. To fail to give your parents the respect that they are entitled unto by the position that God has given them in your life, regardless of whether or not they deserve it, is to disobey the word of God. To speak ill of your parents is to dishonor them. To abandon your parents is to dishonor them. To reject your parents is to dishonor them. Maybe your parents have not treated you well. On the authority of God's word, honor them. You'll have to obey them if you're beyond that, that point in life. But honor them. Honor them. Honor them in life. Honor their memory in death because it pleases the Lord. And if it pleases the Lord, then you ought to do it. You ought to want to do it with all your heart. Not for your parents' sake, but for God's sake. And remember, children, whether young or old, let us never remember the goodness of God in every one of these matters. That not only by honoring your parents are you doing what's right, thus you're obeying the one who has redeemed you from your sin, but by doing so, even if it's not the most pleasant thing, God's going to reward you for it. God rewards us for doing what he's already commanded us to do. He doesn't have to do that, but he does. He tells you to do it. He's redeemed you, so he's certainly worthy of it. He's created you, so he's worthy of obedience. And then when you do exactly what, he, what is worthy to do, he says, I'm going to turn around and bless you for it. And you will be blessed if you'll obey him. God loves us apart from worth. He blesses us with fellowship and privilege of serving him. He gives us every advantage in order to obey him. And when we do obey him, he blesses us even more for it. And in this perspective and by this account, there's really nothing but advantage for you to obey God by obeying your parents. Yeah, but it takes time, but it takes effort, but it's no fun. But, but okay, time, effort, fun. The blessing of God, right? This way. Blessing of God wins out every time, right? It's not even a question. It's not even a competition. Am I going to keep playing that video game? Am I going to talk back to my parents because I don't like what they told me? Am I going to ignore what they had to say to me and, and ignore the blessing of God upon those who obey their parents? Yield that, give that up? Or am I going to obey my parents as I've been told to do? You honor them, you obey them, whether they've earned your respect or not, and in doing so, you've done your part, you've obeyed God, God is pleased, you are blessed. So let's do it. If you love God, you'll keep his commandments. Do you love God? Then do it. Obey your parents, honor your parents, and find that blessing that's been promised. Let's close in prayer.